here. Where he is, there is liberty. Where he is, anything can happen. Amen. Let's all stand this evening. We're going to go to him in prayer. Let's pray that God has his perfect will in this service once again. Let's submit ourselves to him. Let's give in to this service as much as we desire to receive. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you, for your so great salvation. You are an excellent God, a glorious King, a wondrous Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for the manifestation of your presence here in this place tonight. I am in awe of you. I am overwhelmed by your goodness and by your greatness tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for the manifestation of your spirit, your will, your presence here. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us tonight to enter into the very presence, the very throne room of Almighty God. I do not esteem that lightly. I will not take it for granted. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have in store for us tonight. We desire to receive everything that you have for us. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I pray that your mighty name would be glorified. That you would be glorified here in our midst tonight. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. Uh, by way of announcements, do not forget that this weekend is kind of busy. Uh, men, men folk, we are here at 8 o'clock uh, this Saturday, and uh, we're going to pray. We're going to raise the roof. God's going to do awesome things. Amen. 10 o'clock ladies are going to be here. Better yet. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Praise God. So, uh, keep those things in mind. Now, of course, Saturday we're going to have or Sunday we're going to have service. Praise God. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're going to take our scripture text tonight. Uh, we're going to read the first 13 verses. <coughs> Exercise in endurance. Amen. 13 whole verses here. Starting with verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter." And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity." I find it interesting the analogy that the prophet Nathan used on David. Being a shepherd himself, this would have impacted him, I think, more than any other analogy could have. Verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house. 
and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. I find this story fascinating, and I find it frightening, that this man, the man after God's own heart, King David, a man of, that wrote most of the Psalms, he loved God. He served God with his life. God testified of him later that he was a man after my own heart. But even David was able to get to the place where he exalted his own desires above obedience to the commandment of God. And more than that, he was able to justify it to the point where he felt no remorse. He did not believe he had done anything wrong. And he thought, if you would have asked him, I'm sure he would have testified. I'm good with God. I'm right with God. I'm doing His will. But he wasn't right with God. Even when his actions told an entirely different story, he was still able to believe he was putting God first. And I want to talk to us tonight, for as much time as we have on this topic, is God first? Is God first? We read about King David. He takes up a significant amount of Scripture, and there's a lot of sermons on King David, and rightly so. He's an awesome man. He's a, he's a wonderful man of God. He's a great king. He's a great warrior. Uh, there's a lot to, to praise David about. But there are a couple instances where even this great man fell into sin, this being one of them. We read about King David way back when he was a shepherd boy, when Saul was king. God had rejected Saul from being king because of choices he had made. Poor choices. He had rejected the commandment of God, and he did what he wanted to do. Out of fear, probably, fear of the people, uh, impatience, whatever it was, he wouldn't wait on God. He wouldn't do what God wanted. So God rejected him from being king and found him, according to the testimony of God, a man after his own heart. He sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. One by one, each child of Jesse was rejected. God told the prophet, I have rejected him. I have rejected him. Finally, he wasn't there. Do you have any other children? Yeah, there's one out in the field. Go, go get him. We're going to wait here until he comes. God said, that's the man. Anoint him. And David was anointed king. Went through all the tests and trials. We've preached about that many times. Until finally, God set him on the throne. 
And he was faithful to God. He did what God commanded. He did what God wanted. He was good with God. He understood what God wanted. He understood who God was. He had a relationship with Him. This isn't some novice. This isn't some uh, new convert, if you will. He had a very close walk with God, a very good understanding of the law. He knew what God wanted. He knew who God was. But then he gets to this place. And we can, we can go through all the reasons why this happened in the first place. He was sitting in the rear with the gear when he should have been out leading the troops. Absolutely true. Uh, but that doesn't stop, that doesn't uh, negate the fact that this was in his heart. This desire was in his heart. How many wives did David have at this point? He had a few, right? Why did he need someone else? He was literally this rich man Nathan was talking about, who had hundreds of lambs, but instead took the the poor man's lamb. We're in the grip of self-deception when we are committed to certain values and we begin to act against those values. And when we act against those values, we don't want to take responsibility for our actions. So when we, when we discover that we're acting against our values, we have two choices, don't we? We can fess up. We can admit we did wrong. We can repent. We can get right with God and, and start moving forward again. Or, we can cover it up. We can justify it. We can excuse it. Now I know that I stand in the midst of a people that understand which choice is the right choice. We all know that choice one is what we ought to do. But that's not what we always do. And you can think back in your own life and say, well, no, I always do that. Let me reverse it. Every one of us can think of other people who covered stuff up. We can see that plain as day. But what we have problems with is seeing our own cover-ups, our own self-deception. We can't see that very well at all. We will excuse our own actions. We will make excuses. We will justify. We'll cover things up. We'll even lie. And we may not even know it. But it doesn't take too too long. We've got everything wrapped up tight. We're good. I have a good reason for doing this. But we don't have a good reason for sinning. We never have a good reason for going against the commandment of God. So either we we be honest with ourselves, we admit our guilt, we repent, or we cover it up. More times than we'd like to admit, we choose option number two. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart will deceive us. Our heart is in the business of lying to us. Don't ever follow your heart, folks. 
Don't do that. It will lead you astray. We know David was in the throes of self-deception because he felt no remorse. He felt no guilt for what he had done. He went to the temple. He offered sacrifices. A lot of scholars believe this has been going on for several years. Between the time of Uriah the Hittite's death and Nathan the prophet coming. I don't know. I don't know how they discovered that, but we do know it's been a little while. And nothing. No red flags. Nothing at all. Everything's good. Everything's golden. No guilt at all. No remorse. He, like us, probably created false narratives, excuses, justifications, cover-ups, denials, rationales to convince himself he was still right in the sight of God. And aren't we good at that? We are so good at that, folks. And if we would just take some of that energy and shift it over to serving Jesus Christ, we'd be so much farther ahead. I can imagine some of the thoughts that went through his mind. I love Bathsheba so much that the rules don't matter. We have a pure love, a true love. Our love is different. It must be from God. She consented to the affair, so she must have wanted out of her marriage anyway. It was a dead marriage. I'm doing him a favor. And my personal favorite, I'm the king. Laws don't apply to me. I'm the king. I'm in charge of the armies. And where I send people is where I send them. If he happens to die, then so be it. It wouldn't have been too difficult to get to the place where he was completely justified in his actions. But he wasn't justified, was he? He was guilty of sin. He was guilty. And the Lord sent someone to tell him he was guilty. Sometimes, a lot of times, self-deception is impossible for us to see in ourselves. We just can't see it. One reason is we're not really looking too hard for it. We're so busy looking for it in everyone else. There's an account in the book of Haggai that's going to play into this. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Speaking of God's temple. Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. 
and when ye brought it home, it, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. We see a bit of a rebuke from the Lord here. Have you ever been in a place in your life where it seems like the harder you try to fix something, the harder you try to make things work out for yourself, the more of a mess everything becomes? Ever been there? That's frustrating. So what do we typically do? We double down. We're just not working hard enough. We need help. We're going to do something. We've got to get this done. But maybe, maybe we're doing something outside the will of God. Maybe we're doing something that we want to do. And not necessarily what God wants to do. Now the book of Haggai, uh, we know that the, the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan. Uh, they possessed it. Book of Judges, up and down, roller coaster experience. And when we look at First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we see uh, just generally an awful history of the nation of Israel. A few good spots, a, a few good kings, some great things happened, some some great miracles, many instances of the long suffering mercy of God, where He would warn and warn and warn and warn and warn. Judgment's coming if you don't start doing right. If you keep doing what you want to do, judgment's coming. He kept warning them. They never seemed to get it. Eventually, judgment did come. Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah, it's all through there. Babylon's coming. They're going to take us away. You need to submit to Babylon. You need to submit to these people. If you'll submit... If you'll live in Babylon, I will bless you. I will prosper you there. But don't fight against this. This is coming. This is happening. Well, of course, they fought against it. Because why wouldn't they? They didn't want it. They didn't want this, so they were going to try to work to make it not happen. When you find yourself fighting against the will of God, folks, you're not in a good spot. So they were in Babylon for 70 years. And by the grace and mercy of God, He released a few of the people, a remnant, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And this is kind of where we're at. God wanted them to rebuild His temple so that He would have the preeminence again in their lives. If you look at Numbers chapter 2, we read the will of God in that the tabernacle was supposed to be set up in the middle of the camp. That was the dead center of everything. When you read the Old Testament law, God was involved with everything, every aspect of our lives. And in today's covenant, He expects the same. He ought to be the center of our lives. Not just the center of our Sunday. Not just the center of our Wednesday. The center of every minute of every day of our lives. He deserves that. He demands that. That's part of the covenant relationship we have with Him. 
I've said it once. I'm going to keep saying it. This is an all or nothing proposition, folks. When we say yes to God, we enter into a covenant with Him. It's all of it. And God demands that He's in charge. He gets to be king. He gets to call the shots. He gets to say what's right and wrong. He gets to make the rules. He gets to determine what I do with myself. He gets to determine how I live my life. Not me anymore. I'm not in charge anymore. I was, or I thought I was. I never was, but I thought I was. He's in charge of my life now. So when He tells me to do something, I don't have an option. I still have free moral agency, so technically, yes, I do have an option. But according to the terms of the covenant, I don't have an option. I'm supposed to say yes to Him no matter what. No matter what the cost is. I'm tired, God. I just pulled a double. I don't want to go do that. I don't want to go to church now. I want you to go to church. I got something for you. I'll go to church. Let me. Th- when we put God first, can we expect that He's going to bless us for that? Okay, that's the right answer, right? Do we live like that, though? See, there's the disconnect. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. There's a huge disconnect here. We know what the right answer is. We know it. If we put God first, He's going to put me first. He's going to bless me for my obedience to Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We're going to read that in a little bit. And all these things shall be added unto you. But we don't live like that. We live as if it depends on me. My income depends on me. I got to get to work. Well, we got stuff going on here. Well, I got to do overtime because I got these bills. Well, put God first. Put God's work first. He'll take care of that stuff. At least that's what the book says. I'm not saying this. This is the Bible saying this. God said this. Is he lying to us? Is he trying to get us in a trap and then laugh his head off at us? (laughs) Got you there. No. Every, Every time I've put God first in my life, it has worked out phenomenally well. Every time I've I've charged ahead on my own, it's been an utter disaster. Period. I don't need to try it anymore. I've tried it enough. I'm done. My wife is done. She's done with me trying to do it on my own. Put God first. When He tells us to do something, just do it. It doesn't matter how you feel. He knows how you feel. He knows how tired you are. He knows that you got these bills. He knows that you got all this stuff going on. He already knows all that. But He told you to do it anyway. So if I trust God... If I trust Him, I'm going to do what He told me to do and expect that all of this other stuff is going to work out. Either He'll give me more time, He'll give me the solution, He'll send some help my way, He'll take care of it Himself, whatever it is. I really don't care. He said He's going to take care of it. Fantastic. Wonderful. He's going to take care of it. That's all I need to know. And He does. He does every single time. 
So God needs to be the center of our lives. Number, or I'm sorry, Exodus 20 and 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. None. God comes first. Nothing comes before God. Absolutely nothing at all. No one comes before God. Absolutely no one at all. If I'm in a covenant relationship with God, one of the things I agreed to is that He was going to be first. He was going to have the preeminence. Period. My wife doesn't come before God. I don't come before her. I don't come before God with her. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it is. God comes first. He has to come first. He needs to come first. He deserves to come first. Since the the, uh, children of Israel's return, now listen to this. How long do you think they'd been here before God corrected them? Sixteen years. Sixteen years. And all they have done is built the foundation. What they did do, what they did have time for, was to build their houses, to get their businesses up and running, to get their family lives in order. They had plenty of time for that. But what they didn't have time for was the commandment of God. They were sent there specifically to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, rebuild Jerusalem. That's their purpose here. But no time in 16 years to work on God's house. How about that? Priorities. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Mark 12 and 30 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Question, did the children of Israel love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might? Did they? No. Absolutely not. What they did love was their own house. What they did love was their own comfort. Getting their own lives back in order. Now, hey, I get it. I get it. You were ripped out. You were, you were prospering in Babylon. I understand that. Had good businesses. Had established businesses. Had established houses and families and friends. Acquaintances, relationships. All that stuff. I get that. And now God's telling us to come out from that and come to this desolate wasteland. There's nothing here. Rubble. Burnt rubble. We've got to rebuild from scratch. I understand that's tough. That's difficult. I'm not making light of that. We've been called out of a few cities. Some of you have. It's not easy. But the commandment of the Lord was build the temple. Put me first. And if you put me first, I'll bless everything else. 
I will prosper you in every area of your life. But put me first. Folks, when we don't put God first, that's when we start getting frustrated and we get all these troubles happening. If you're frustrated, if you're feeling frustrated, there's a reason for that. If you were trusting God, you wouldn't be frustrated. If you were trusting in God, you wouldn't be worried. There's no good reason for a biblical Christian to worry or to stress out. Now we do. We get stressed out. But just as soon as that comes, we need to, we need to give that to God. We need to give that to Jesus and let Him work it out. If I'm, if I'm serving the Lord with my life, if I'm dedicated to serving Him, if I'm doing everything I can to draw close to Him, all of that, there is no good reason for me to be stressed out or frustrated. There is every good reason for me to have faith and confidence in the Lord that all of this is going to work itself out. I'm giving this to God. I'm going to do what I can. I will. I'm not just going to sit on a pew and pray till Jesus comes. We can't do that either. Although that would be alright. There are things sometimes that we have to do, take care of. I'm going to do all of that. But at the end of the day, I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not worried about it. Because God's got it. I'm putting Him first. That's how I know He has it. He's going to honor the promises in His Word. When I put Him first, He puts me first. When I get out from under that, that's when I start getting stressed out and worried. That's when I start getting discouraged and troubled. Because now it's all on me. And I can't do that. Matthew 15 and 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're professing religion. They're professing a relationship with God. Maybe they even believe it themselves. Saying all the right things, doing all the right things. But their heart, their heart is far from me. How do we know that? How do I know when my heart is with God or not? All I got to do is look at my actions. Look at my life. Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? Where am I using my resources? What takes up the bulk of my time? Well, it's either something that's moving me closer to God or it's something that's not. Jeremiah 3.10 says, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. In other words, they were fake. They were faking it. And not until they were going to make it. They were just faking it. You're not going to fake God. God knows your heart. Even when you don't. God knows when you're with Him completely and holy. And He also knows when you're 
not with him fully. Other people can tell it too at some point because you're living inconsistently. Now to us. Do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might? Where are we spending our time? Where am I spending my money? Where am I investing my talents? Do they demonstrate that I'm with God? Holy? Or do they demonstrate something else? Are we building our own lives, our own careers, our own families, our own plans, but without God? Outside of the will of God? We read just a little bit ago about the nation of Israel crossing over to the promised land. They, couldn't, they just couldn't seem to get it right. When it was God's perfect will for them to cross over, they wouldn't. And they were chastised for their disobedience. And then the next morning, they repented and said, Alright, yet yeah, we're sorry. We're going to go over now. And Moses was like, God's not with you now. He was with you yesterday when He wanted you to go over. But now it's too late. Today He's not. It just couldn't seem to get that right. When we build our own plans without God or outside of His will, when we don't seek Him first, when we don't put Him first, when we are pursuing things, we get off kilter. We get off the chosen path that God has laid out for us. And God is no longer directing our steps. We are. Is God the center of everything that we're doing? Everything that we're doing. Who gets to be the center of our lives? If not God, then who? Or what? Who gets to be the center of our lives? Who gets to call the shots in my life? Who gets to tell me how I live? Who gets to tell me what's right and wrong? Who has the authority in my life? If it's not God, then who? Somebody's going to have it. It's very possible for us to get ensnared in self-deception and not even know it. Matthew 6, 24-34. Another exercise in endurance. It says this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? The answer is, yes, the life is so much more than that. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. 
are ye not much better than they? In other words, if God's going to feed them, won't He feed you? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Or in other words, how many profit by worrying about something? How many are able to worry effectively? They can worry their way through a situation. That fixes things for them. I've known some people that have tried their absolute best to get good at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you got something else to worry about. My ulcer. <clears throat> and, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things did the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. One translation says, Let the day's own cares be sufficient for the day. Why are you going to worry about tomorrow or next week? we got plenty to deal with right here today. And God is working in that. Do we live our lives as if this were true? Well, we got to eat. I've got responsibilities to meet. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. God wants me to enjoy life. So I'm going to work overtime and so I can afford that new boat. God wants me to be happy. Doesn't He want us to be happy? Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, yes, He does want us to be happy. But, that's not coming until glory. We're going to be happy in heaven. We're going to have joy and we're going to have peace and, and happiness and, and there will be no sorrow added to any of that. It's going to be perfect. But take your happiness down here while you can, folks, because it's fleeting at best. And even in the midst of your happiness, it's going to be seasoned with a little bit of frustration, a little bit of sorrow. It just always seems to work out that way. That's the place we're in right now. So, if you're happy, man, fantastic. Enjoy it while you can. What we can enjoy, unlimited amounts of, is joy. Peace. Those we can enjoy as long as we want. As long as we'll trust God. As long as we'll draw close to Him. We can have joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy in the midst of frustration or pain. Here's a question. If God told you to quit your job, or told you to sign over your retirement, or told you to start working someplace else, would you be able to obey that command? 
or what excuses and rationalization start to kick in. Yeah, but. That's right. That's the right answer, isn't it? Yeah, but. God, you gave me this job. I'm supporting all kinds of missionaries. How am I going to do that? Right? Who's, who's our provider? Who's providing for our needs? Is it our job? Is our job providing our needs? How about the government? Is the government providing our needs? God is providing our needs. He may be using an employer. He may be using the government. But He can just as easily use someone else. It's kind of like when I've never had this yet. I'm both not looking forward to it and a little looking forward to the first person to come tell me this. That they have a problem paying tithes and they're not going to pay tithes anymore. Because, especially if they pay a lot of tithes. I've, I've heard horror stories about this. You know, you got this big uh, tycoon guy in church and he's, he's a millionaire and he pays all kinds of tithes and offerings and, and pastor says something, church board does something, and he doesn't like it, so he's, I can't support this. In the hope that they'll change their mind because I'm going to stop putting all this money in. Well, my thought process is, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, you do you. You do what you got to do. That's, that's your money. You're, you're supposed to be a good steward of that. You be a good steward of your money. Put it where you think it's best. But I know that God's going to provide for His work here. Absolutely will. If not through you, then He'll, he'll raise up someone else or some group of people. And He'll start blessing them for it. And He won't bless you anymore. That's fine. That's your choice. That ought not worry us. And the reverse is also true. If, our, if we lose our jobs, for no fault, you know, I do something stupid at work, I lose my job, okay, that's one thing. But if I get downsized or they don't like me because I'm a Christian, so they find a reason to let me go, you know, whatever the reason is, but it's something outside of your control. We don't have to worry about that. Because God knows that. God knows where I'm at. God knows the responsibilities I have to take care of. He's got everything in control. He saw this coming. And He's already working stuff out. That's the God that we serve. We don't have to worry about that. I'm going to put it in God's hands. Like I said, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to pray about it, seek direction, uh, seek counsel uh, from people that I trust, and I'm going to start putting applications out. And God's going to do something. Absolutely. We don't have to stress out about it. We don't have to worry about obeying God, even when it seems to cost us something. Because God is no man's debtor. If He asks something of you, He's going to give it back and then some. I promise you that. And not always financially. But He'll he'll give it back to you many times over. 
Is our heart's desire always toward the things of God, or is it sometimes toward what will please me at the expense of serving God? And God understands. God understands. I'm doing the best I can. Are you, though? Are you doing the best you can? Now, I understand some people's jobs, they take them out of church. I get that. I've had jobs that took me out of church. And I'm going to say something, and I, I pray that no one takes this the wrong way, because I don't mean it. I don't mean it like it's probably going to sound. <clears throat> in my own life, when I was in that situation, I always did my best to change the situation so that I was available for church. Now, if that meant that I needed to take a bit of a pay cut, that was fine with me. My desire was to be in church. My desire was to work in the kingdom of God. That's always been my focus. And in other people's lives, sometimes I hear, yes, I want to be involved in the kingdom of God. Yes, I want to... Everything sounds right, but... their job is more important. And again, I understand. Some of these jobs, they pay a crazy amount of money. Would I be able to give up a crazy amount of money to do the work of God? I've never been asked to. never made a crazy amount of money. <laughs> so, maybe it's a good thing. <coughs> but, uh, at the end of the day, where is this? Where is this leading us? I've, I've, I've told people, well, I've not told anyone this here, but I've told people in the past, well, I'm just going to pray that God gets you fired then. Then you'll have plenty of time for church. He'll provide for your needs. He'll give you something, but then you'll have plenty of time for church. Like I said, I haven't told anyone that here. I don't intend to tell anyone that here, but in a couple situations in the past. Anyway, <laughs> probably wasn't in a good spirit either. All right, so at the end of the day, we're either serving God first or someone else, something else is first. And we can say that God is first and act like something else is first. And in that case, we're trapped in self-delusion. We think that we're doing right. We're with King David. We think that we're in a, right, we're in a good spot with God. But we're not. At least we're not in the spot that God wants us to be. We might be in a good spot, but there's better. There's best. Let's always strive for best. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Wherefore, 
Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do should ultimately be serving or giving glory to God. Everything that we do with our hands, everything that we think about, everything that is transacted in our lives needs to be giving glory to God, serving God in some capacity. When I go to the job and do work, I'm not a bum at work. I work as hard as I can because I want to be a good witness. I work as unto the Lord. I want to be a good witness for other people. Now, as hard as you can may be different for some people than others. But I'm going to do the best I can. I'm not going to be a bum. I'm not going to slack off. I'm not going to back talk the manager. I'm going to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and let's get this done. I want to be a good witness. I'm serving Jesus Christ at work. It will give glory to God when He is pleased with our activities. If God is pleased with our activities, He's glorified in that. In Haggai 1.8, we read this, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. When we do the will of God, when we obey the commandments of the Lord, He is glorified in that. He's pleased with that. And don't we want to please Jesus? Don't we want to please Him with our lives? Amen. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. So in this we see that everything is God's. Everything. That includes you. And that includes me. We are God's. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we've signed the covenant terms or not, we're still His. And He's when we get to the end of our lives and we stand before the judgment seat, we're going to find that out. Everyone's going to find that out. That includes every material possession God has blessed us with. It's His. That includes the time that we have access to. That's His too. Everything that we have is God's. Matthew 10, 37-39 says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And again in Luke 14.33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So this is at the heart of everything that we're talking about tonight. What does it mean to put God first? It means we give Him everything else. Everything else. I give Him all my possessions, all my money, all my time. And He has the authority to tell me how to use that. I give Him my life. I give Him this body. And He has the authority to tell me what to do with those. He has got to come before everything. We need to recognize that everything is God's, and He does with His possessions as He chooses. I don't tell Brother DeMuth how to, how to, what to do with his awesome new car that he's just about done building. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell him how to do that. Drive it out to my place and leave it there. <laughs> For example, I'm just throwing stuff out here. <laughs> it's his. 
He's not going to tell me what to do with my tablet. <laughs> One crisp dollar bill coming coming your way. <laughs> God does with his possessions as he chooses. They're his possessions. When he entrusts something to us, it's because we are stewards of it. It's not ours. It was never ours. And it never will be. The money that we have in the bank is God's. The vehicle I possess, the house, everything in it, it's God's. And if it all burns to the ground, well, that's His business. Now I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. But it's His. It's His, and He does with His possessions as He chooses. He can make a withdrawal anytime He wants. He can make a deposit anytime He wants. But those are His choices to make, not ours. Proverbs 3 and 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. All thy ways. Everything that we do. Every direction we desire to take. We need to put Him first. That's what that means. Acknowledge Him. Put Him first in all of our decisions. Everything that we do. We need to put Him first. We need to, we need to seek counsel of Him. We need to get direction from Him. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? This is what I'm thinking, but what do you want? And that's okay to tell him that. I'd really like to do this, but I want to know what you want. Sometimes he said, that sounds great. Go do it. Other times he's like, nope. Maybe he'll give you a reason. Maybe he won't. But we don't need the reason. All we need is the direction. All we need is the answer. People get frustrated sometimes when God, God's not answering me. God, God keeps telling me no. God, God, God won't let me do this or that. I'm like, then don't do it. Why would you want to do it? Why would you want to do something God said no to? That's crazy talk to me. That's, that's insane. I can't imagine wanting to do that. <clears throat> but there are people like that. In closing, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. I know it's a long passage, but there's a lot of blessing in here. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. I get a picture of trying to run away from them and they tackle me. I can't get away from them. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thine kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be thou shalt be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. 
And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee in holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, and walk in his ways. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head, and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Amen. If we will submit ourselves to God, if we will hearken to His voice every day, if we will seek to to follow after Him and to please Him with our lives, if we will give ourselves to Him, and when He tells us to do something, we just do it. When we find ourselves in a weird situation, we know where we're at with God. We're not in self-deception. We know of a surety that we're doing the things that please Him. Because we can observe the fruit. We can observe our actions. We can observe where we're spending these resources that God has given us. And because of that, we can trust in God that He has all of this under control. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to stress or fret. Because of the way we're living, the choices we're making, we're, we're giving ourselves to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, we have exceeding good and precious promises that no matter what happens in our lives, God is going to take care of it. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It's taken care of because we put our hope and our trust in Him. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these exceeding good and precious promises that you've given us. Help us, Lord Jesus, every day of our lives to walk ever closer to you, to become more like you. It is our desire to serve you with our lives, to give everything unto you. Not that you'll necessarily take everything from us, but in our minds, it's already given. We've already decided. If you do want to make a withdrawal, it's yours to make. If you want to make a deposit, it's yours to make. But it's always yours. It will always be yours. Help us to serve you with our lives. Help us to not fall prey to self-deception. Help us to understand where we truly are with you. And if we are in a place that's not good or not right, steer us. Bring us back to the path that you've laid out for us. Teach us the good and the right way. I pray, Lord, a blessing upon the people of God tonight, those joining us online. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would walk with them, minister unto them their every need. Bring us back to the house of God at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind.